Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's podcast, some movie suggestions for you, a little bit of TV, and a whole lot of pop culture. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I think I'm ready to listen to The Smiths here on Big Squid. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, This podcast in the movie section is uh, a podcast that I recorded uh, a few weeks ago for my Patreon page, but uh, a lot of people have been getting in touch with me and asking me in particular about The Killer. So I thought I would uh, repackage it uh, for all of you and uh, you can have a listen and let me know what you uh, think about that. It's funny, uh, the fans of the podcast are so good, they are scared to even kind of mention exactly what uh, they're thinking about something in case I haven't watched it. And I love that. I love that about you. You, you. you get it. You know, it's you're tentative. You know, it's like, hey, have you watched this? I've got some thoughts. I liked it, but I don't want to say why. And I really appreciate that. So you'll be able to get on board with what I think about uh, The Killer and uh, other movies like Past Lives, a few older films that I managed to catch up with as well. And uh, how bored I was in the latest Exorcist movies. Like, goodness gracious. Like, I've seen some good stuff this year, and that was not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, dear. But it happens. They can't all be winners, my friends. Uh, Before we get into the movie side of it, though, uh, I just thought I'd give you a little uh, rundown of TV shows that I'm watching at the moment. And uh, TV was a bit slow for me for a while there. I finally got around to watching This Is Going To Hurt and I loved it. I just thought it was so good and um, Ben Winshaw is just remarkable in the lead role, especially playing someone who in many ways is 
unlikable and makes mistakes, but he, he infuses him with a humanity and, a, and an understanding that allows you to be frustrated with the foibles, but also understand them. And, uh, and it, it means you don't check out from the character, I think, even though they can be awful at times and, and not display the best of uh, intentions. But if you've never seen that before, I thoroughly recommend that. I think it's just wonderful. Uh, but recently, after going a little while without watching much TV, uh, I still watched John Oliver. Uh, you know, I think I'm done with Rick and Morty. It's just doesn't have the magic it used to have. Nothing to do with the new voices. I kind of was, was a bit checked out of it last year. And uh, I don't know, there's there's been a shift in the paradigm in what I'm enjoying these days. And I, I can't honestly tell you if the episodes are better, worse or whatever. I just honestly couldn't tell you. I just don't enjoy them as much. I'm flicking through my phone, I'm, you know, stopping halfway through a 20-odd minute episode to get a snack or go to the toilet and, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? You can just be out on something. I don't know if it's uh, the, the fandom of it. I just honestly have checked out and really don't care. So uh, there's a few things in my life now that uh, feel that way. I'm, I'm out on the Marvel films and TV shows. I haven't watched any of them in such a long time. I'm out on Star Wars, except for Andor. That is uh, um, the only thing that I'm actually properly invested in. I'm looking forward to season two of that. But for the most part, Star Wars, I could just not give a shit. I really am mildly curious about what James Gunn is going to do with the DC Universe stuff. He seems to be referencing a lot of stuff that I loved when it first came out. But... Yeah, you know, that's when it first came out as well. I don't really read comics anymore. Uh, I do read things like uh, Ice Cream Man from Image. I read all of the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips productions. Uh, I finally finished volume four of uh, Something is Killing the Children, which I'm still really enjoying. Uh, I read Daniel Klaus's latest graphic novel, Monica damn, like that was a work of art. But for the most part, I just don't bother reading any of that stuff anymore. And I I kind of feel like (laughs) I read Alan Moore's novella. You may have heard me talk about this before, but I read his novella about the comic book industry. And it's, um, it's funny. It's like, it's like Alan Moore introduced me to a high level of enjoying comics. And then he's taken me out at the same time which is funny considering the story that I'm uh, reading out under the beautiful tales for the disenchanted uh, banner of the ultimate but uh, that was originally written four years ago and it's been interesting to re-engage with it I have ideas on where I might take this but um, yeah I'm just kind of out on all of these things I've had no interest in the new Doctor Who specials um it's, it's not an active uh, disinterest. It's a, a literal disinterest. I just just would prefer to read or watch something that I am guaranteed is going to be good. I've been slowly losing interest in the series for a while now. Like, even, even seasons that we've covered here, even if I've kind of enjoyed them, I'm not emotionally tethered to them. And, yeah, it's just a... 
I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of done, you know. Russell T. Davies talking about how he's going to make a Hooniverse, and I'm like, really? Feels like that kind of approach to storytelling is cooked. If you look at, like, the DC stuff and the Marvel stuff and the failed, you know, attempts to make universes out of any IP, and now now you're going to do it? Like, I, like I hope it's good. Like, I, I, I don't bear it any ill will, but... Going back to David Tennant's not exciting to me. It just really isn't, you know. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe I'd be proven wrong at some point. But uh, maybe that interest will come back. You know, maybe this is just a moment in time. I'm not uh, declaring it uh, is over and done uh, forever. But, you know, why the fuck would I give a shit about stuff that's not made well when I can rewatch past lives? Past Lives is just ultimately better than anything than Marvel, DC, Doctor Who, any of these IPs have have made in years. So I would just rather watch that than bore myself with, you know, variations on the same shit. Anyway, (laughs) I don't mean to be a downer, but uh, the the four things I've been watching uh, have been fun. I'll start with the one that I think is just fun. I'm I'm not entirely certain it's the best thing on TV, but it's it's fun enough. And, (laughs) you know, I've just been saying I'm done with DC, Marvel, Doctor Who, all of that stuff. But I've been (laughs) watching uh, Monarch, Legacy of Monsters on Apple TV, and I, I find it to be a bit of a lark. You know, and I guess that's because I don't really have any emotional investment in Godzilla or King Kong or any of those types of monster movies. But I kind of watched this because I like the idea of seeing Wyatt Russell and Kurt Russell playing the same character. Uh, And I quite like Wyatt Russell. And um, yeah, I think it's pretty inventive. Uh, Also, uh, the comic book writer Matt Fraction, who I think is a, a real talent. Um, I, I was curious to see what he was doing. So that, that, that to me is probably um, a, a notch down of the next three things I'm going to talk about. But um, yeah, I think it's just kind of fun. And it uh, seems to not take itself too seriously. It's trying to do some interesting things with characters. I love Kurt Russell. There's just enough monster stuff for me to be, yep, that's kind of moving it along. feels a little bit X-Files with you know, big lizards and things that shoot things out of their faces and and freeze freeze you and you have to run away from stuff. So, you know, maybe it'll be a one-season thing for me. But at the moment, it's been a, a nice palate cleanser of a TV show. Uh, the second thing I've been watching is season four of For All Mankind, which to me is hard science fiction and is still fantastic. The alternate history that they've created is compelling Uh, It makes a lot of sense. I'm invested in all of the stories. I think one of the new characters, a worker on Mars, is a... I I thought he was a fucking idiot from the moment I met him. And that has not changed. But I really really like that about the character. He he makes sense, you know, as, uh, as someone that would be interested in following. I'm enjoying the politics that have presented themselves on Mars between the haves and the have-nots, which is interesting because, you know, the workers, some of the workers, you know, like the, the main the main worker who I find annoying, I'm kind of a little bit on his side because he is being screwed over by everyone who's making money. And some of the characters that I love who are, who are you know, 
up above them and, and making decent money and making decisions based on not really giving a shit about the poor people. Like, there's just a subtlety to it that, you know, it just complicates things and it makes it interesting. And that's not even before we get into the politics of what's going on on Earth. Uh, Daniel Stern has been fantastic. He has been a complete and utter flog and I've loved him as well. Uh, but, you know, seeing the girls get together and, um, uh, you know, branch out from NASA, it's, it, it's, it's all been great. I, I just think it's so well done and, you know, I, I think the plan is for five seasons and that probably seems right. So hopefully they'll get to make this anyway I've, I've really enjoyed it and if you you know the, the episodes are a, a bit long you know like there, there can be some episodes are like 65 70 minutes long and uh uh you know i i totally i, I totally get that might be a bit daunting but it's it's pretty enriching and um yeah no i think it's great there, my god margot oh Margot over in Russia definitely worthwhile checking out so that's for all mankind on season four another one of the Apple TV shows that I just think is really well done you know like it's just you know um they don't always hit but I, I've enjoyed more of their stuff than than I haven't I'm still waiting for Pachinko to come back I thought that was outstanding you know, who knows? Was, they may have taken too long with uh, the, a new season of Severance, but, um, you know, maybe. Maybe they'll come back with a uh, with a flash, so that would be good as well. Uh, the next TV show I wanted to talk to you about was season five of Fargo. Fargo has returned with a bang. Uh, I'm in the minority. Uh, I, I like season three. I think the first two seasons are unassailable. I think season three is really good. I just think it's not as good as the first two. Season four is a little bit hit and miss, but I still enjoyed it. Like I, even if it was not quite there, I was completely uh, fine to follow it through till the end. And it still had enough moments of brilliance for me to, you know, find myself in, in, entranced in the story they were telling. But season five has really, really kicked off with some great stuff. And if you haven't, uh, been back to the Fargo universe or seen it before, uh, Noah Hawley, who creates the show has, uh, you know, he kind of draws on parallels between, uh, Coen Brothers movies and uh, this one has a little bit of the original movie Fargo it has a little bit of Hudsucker Proxy it has a little bit of No Country for Old Men uh, but each idea is kind of flipped uh, in a way uh, Juno Temple as Dot is magnificent it's so good to see her uh, outside of the Ted Lasso world where I felt like she was completely and utterly misused in season three so she's fantastic in the lead and oh my goodness like John Hamm as Roy Tillman is one of the most gross and awful awful people we have seen on uh, as a character uh, on TV a long time there is there's there's a touch when early in the second episode they do something with him physically. And if you haven't seen it, just keep an eye out for a specific detail while he's in the hot tub. And it, I 
damn, I just found it so gross and so perfect and a really interesting summation of uh, what his character is like. Uh, only set in 2019, so rather than the the past, it's like it's the recent past. And it uh, really is talking about a divided America and uh, the people who believe it should go in one direction as opposed to another. Uh, that is done subtly. There's no sermonising, there's no uh, characters smacking you over the head, explaining what's going on. It's there under the surface for you to find at your own pace. Uh, but the storytelling has been magnificent. Uh, Joe Keery from... Um, uh, what was Joe Keery on? He was on... Uh, just let me check this. I'm pretty certain he was in... Yes, uh, Stranger Things, of course. Um, really good. Like, like, magnificent. Once again, you see him early i think it's in uh episode two maybe episode three where he goes and uh, visits uh, someone in <laughs> goes and visits someone in hospital and uh, something that he does while being tough is hilarious absolutely hilarious he just he you you'll see him do it while he's being you know big tough guy and it's it's so gross and it and it, and it really points out hey this guy's a flog <laughs> So Fargo is back. You can find that on the SBS uh, app here in in Australia, but uh, wherever it is, I thoroughly recommend getting back into that. And then finally, Slow Horses is back. Slow Horses. It's just great. It's so good. Uh, I just think it is one of the best things on TV. Uh, I really... um, Loved the first season. I thought the second season was excellent. Uh, you know, it's just that that first season was was so good. Uh, but, um, yeah, Gary Oldman as Jackson Lamb is just a joy and a treat. And he's gross as well, but he's so lovable while being a complete and utter dick, farting and burping, and he looks, he looks like he stinks. You know, wash your hair, Jackson Lamb, you disgusting rotter but uh i love it and uh, jack loudon as river cartwright is one of the funniest things on television you know it's essentially he, he's the closest to the born slash bond kind of character but he, he's a bit useless and keeps making mistakes even though he has the best of intentions uh and that's jack loudon's just really good at it you know be, i've been a fan of his since um you know since i first saw him in dunkirk and uh I love watching him in this. I just think he is fantastic. Um, yeah, like just just all of the characters uh, are great. Uh, you know, Catherine Standish is like one of the best characters uh, on television at the moment. Uh, you know, they're all kind of useless. It's it's compelling. Um, Kristen Scott Thomas just comes in as uh, Diana Taverner and she's just pitching a 100 miles per hour with every... Uh, performance that she's in it's just it's just great so you know what this is like i'm it sounds like i'm sponsored by apple (laughs) and i'm not Uh, i'm willing to be if you're listening (laughs) if you're listening apple but yeah i i I, for all mankind monarch legacy of monsters uh slow horses they've they've all just been fantastic and i've thoroughly enjoyed them so they're, they're my tv suggestions if you're looking for something at the moment uh, let me know what you think. 
I would love to know where you're at with uh, with your TV viewing as well. All right, uh, let's get to the movie part of the podcast and uh, then I'll just swing by at the end to say goodbye. So as I said, uh, this was originally produced for the Patreon only, but so many people were asking me about movies, I thought I would share it here with you. Here I am. <laughs> I've been wanting to talk about all the movies I saw in October for you guys and the thing was I saw that The Killer was coming out in early November and I figured there'd be a bit of crossover with people who listen to this podcast who also like David Fincher's movies. So I thought I'd just give it a little bit of time, uh, give some of you enough time to check it out. I'm going to try not talk too much about any of these films with spoilers but... You know, if you don't really want to hear anything, uh, you know, maybe best to uh, avoid this podcast altogether until you have seen the film that you want to see. Uh, Look, we're going to cover, in this order, The Creator, The Exorcist Believer, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Past Lives, Killers of the Flowers Moon, Long Day's Journey Into Night, and The Killer and uh, maybe then finish with a little uh, coda on seeing Oppenheimer in IMAX. But some of those films are not new releases. Some of them are a little bit older, but I thought they were all interesting. The the ones that aren't new releases that I'm going to talk about, I really enjoyed, so that's why I want to bring them up. So that's the order we'll go in so you can get a rough idea if there's a movie there that you still haven't seen and you don't want it ruined in any way, you can tune out just before that. So let's begin with The Creator. Uh, it was directed by Gareth Edwards and had the screenplay by Gareth Edwards and Chris Veets uh, and from a story by Gareth Edwards. And it starred uh, John David Washington, Gemma Chan, uh, Ken Wat- Watanabe, and uh, Alison Janney as well. So uh, this is a film that is set in 2070. It's uh, roughly about 15 years after a nuclear detonation in Los, An- Los Angeles and a war against uh, artificial intelligence. And uh, we follow uh, John David Washington, who is uh, an ex-Special Forces agent who's recruited to hunt down and uh, and kill this uh, mysterious weapon with the power to end the war, which is known as the Creator. So it's interesting uh, to talk about this film. Um, visually quite beautiful. I saw it at the cinema and it looked fantastic and it has a notoriously small budget of only $80 million, which is crazy because it looks so much better than some of the Marvel movies we've seen as an example in recent times or even the DC movies that are like 200 or 250 million this movie looked fantastic and was quite a visual treat I thought John David Washington was excellent in the lead role uh Alison Janney's always great uh, Gemma Chan you know I, I 
I do like her in some things, but the last couple of things I've seen her in, uh, this and Eternals, have kind of left me a little bit underwhelmed. But I don't think it's her fault. I just think both of these movies have uh, not done her uh, a, a, a proper service by giving her a strong enough character. But... The thing is, is that this film, while looking beautiful and having quite exciting scenes, uh, it didn't really hold up for me. It didn't really hold up as one tale. It felt like something I'd seen before. Uh, it felt like many things that I'd seen before in this, uh, you know, sci-fi dystopian kind of future. And there's nothing really wrong with that. Uh, sometimes watching something and feeling that you uh, are across this style of uh, storytelling or this particular genre, that's fine. It's just kind of what you do within that. And the world building is so well done, but the story just had some implausibilities within it that kept taking me out of the film. So it's not uh, any of the AI stuff. It's not any of the... Uh, the science fiction uh, future that they're exploring, none of that. There's just little parts of the film where you're wondering, hang on, how did we get from this scene to that scene? Now, both scenes look fantastic, but there's an illogic in the storytelling as to how this character could have gotten from here to there so easily. And I'm speaking obtusely because you might want to see it and you might uh, not have a problem with that like I did. But it just happened enough times that I was sort of sitting there and it kept taking me out of the film. So, and the movie hasn't done as well as it could have done. It's 133 minutes. I don't know if it sustained 133 minutes. Sometimes I think in stories like this, they set up a premise like, how's our hero going to get from point A to point B? And then to make that happen, there's an implausibility as to how it occurs. And sometimes you just need to take that scene out. It doesn't matter. They got from here to there and let's get to the good bits. Uh, This feels very much like when I first started writing stand-up comedy shows. There was always, early on in, in in the productions I used to make, there used to be like a two to five minute part of the show that, maybe even seven minutes, which is a long time, where you'd think, oh, I have to get to this bit, because this is the bit that the whole show hangs off. This is the whole bit that everything revolves around and uh, I've got to get through this even though it's a bit dry. And then one day you forget to perform that bit because you're having a good time on stage and you realise at the end you didn't miss it and nobody else did. (laughs) So that's how I felt with some aspects of this story. Like the longer it goes, the more you feel like you've seen it before and therefore the more you start to get a little bit bored. If if you lopped off possibly 20 minutes of this film, then maybe it moves along, uh, maybe, maybe not, yeah, 20 minutes I reckon. Yeah, if you could get it down to 110 minutes, 105, 110 minutes... You wouldn't mind having uh, uh, aspects of it that seem like they're uh, reflections of other films that you've seen before. But look, it's, uh, you know, 
rel- relatively speaking, for this kind of film, it's 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 a smaller film, and uh, I like the um, roll of the dice of it. But uh, in the end, it just kind of left me a little bit cold. Um, maybe I'll watch it again at some point on streaming, but for the most part, I thought this was okay. Uh, you know, I I did go along with a friend and I bought the tickets and uh, and it was like, geez, I think I just spent $70 on this film and I'm not entirely certain it's it was worth $70. Maybe if I'd spent $30, I would have been a little bit more uh, understanding about it. But, you know, and look, you've heard me talk about movies in the past. I, I don't think a movie should be short in time or long in time. I, I, I think a movie should be as long as it's meant to be. That's why, personally, I find Oppenheimer to be the perfect time for that story. It's 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 three hours, but everything pays off, and it reflects uh, the the ending reflects the beginning, and you know it moves along at a rapid pace. Uh, and this is a movie that just kind of meandered a little bit. So anyway. Uh, Probably worthwhile checking out if you're going to watch it on streaming because, you know, you can get a sandwich at some points and you'll be fine. All right. So that was The Creator. Uh, The Exorcist Believer. Uh, This is under the Blumhouse Productions team who do a pretty good job of reinvigorating uh, old films and uh, not old films, but old films. storylines and uh, updating them. They had a considerable success with Halloween. And uh, from all the reports, they've spent quite a lot of money on The Exorcist as a, um, as a you know, a new uh, IP for them to dig into. But this was directed by David Gordon Green, who has had some success with horror movies in the past. Uh, he wrote the screenplay with Peter Sattler. And... This was, uh, I was really bored by this film. You know, this is a movie that was uh, 111 minutes and that felt, (laughs) that felt too long. Uh, This is a a film about uh, a young photographer called Victor uh, and he's in Haiti with his pregnant wife who's blessed by a voodoo practitioner while on their honeymoon and then a massive earthquake uh, hits and uh, his wife is injured, uh, mortally injured, and she asks uh, her husband Victor to protect their unborn daughter Angela. Uh, and when paramedics arrive, they can tell Victor he must choose to save either his wife or his child. And of course, he um, has to make a choice, as you can well imagine. So, thirteen years later, uh, Victor is—you uh, know—he's raising his daughter. And he's kind of lost his faith in God after his wife's death. And then one day after school, Angela and her Baptist best friend, Catherine, uh, decide to perform a seance in an attempt to contact Angela's mother. And the girls go missing and a three-day manhunt begins. They go looking for the two girls and when they are found, they are traumatised. They seem relatively normal. Uh, They've got uh, burns on their feet, and then, of course, the conditions worsen, and yada, yada, yada. Guess who turns up? (laughs) I'm not giving anything uh, away, but um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was just, <laughs> I don't really know what to say. I just thought it, it kind of read or watched like a, um, like a SNL sketch, you know. It's like, you know, what would be better than one possession? How about two possessions? And it's just a little bit by the numbers. It's a little bit boring. This is also a world where it, ties into the original Exorcist where Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstyn, uh, is a best-selling uh, author uh, who has talked about uh, the possession with with uh, her daughter Regan, who she is now, you know, um, estranged from. And so, you know, there's scenes of possession where the, 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 the two girls are saying stuff. And it's like, yeah, if, you, if you're buying into it, being two possessed little girls, then why would you buy into anything that's being said? Does that make sense? Like if if you're in a world where you where you have a sense of uh, what a possession could be, and then someone is possessed and they say things like, "Why would you get upset?" You'd just go, "Ah, oh, this is this is the um, uh, this is the devil trying to you know trick me into into doing something or, or, or reacting in a certain way. Uh, look, I just thought this was not very good. The uh, lead actor, Leslie Odom Jr., I thought he was really good, actually. I thought he did a really good job. But, you know, it had Anne Dowd in it, who I love from uh, The Leftovers, and she's kind of not really given a lot to do. And it's just a bit of a bummer seeing the character of Chris McNeil again. Like, after everything she goes through in The Exorcist, I'm just happy for that character to have a happy ending. And what happens in this film is just a bit of a bummer. So, like, this film it was was less than two hours, and I was... Uh, this, this felt longer to me than some of the three, three-and-a-half-hour movies I've seen. So that tells you something. Anyway, uh, I wasn't really a fan of The Exorcist Believer, so that was just one of those ones where it's like, eh, I've seen it. And to be honest, this is the first time I've thought about it since I saw it, talking about it with you. So there you have it. All right. Now, the next film uh, was a movie that came out uh, originally at TIFF in 2022 and then released properly at the beginning of this year. Uh, I only just had an opportunity to see it, and that is a movie called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Uh, it is directed by Daniel Goldabar and written by Ariella Barrera, Jordan Sciol, and Daniel as well. And it's based on the book by Andrea's mom, uh, which is called uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Learning to Fight in a World on Fire, which is a non-fiction book. So this is a film that is set primarily in West Texas, and the film follows a, a fictional group of eight young people who decide to blow up an oil pipeline at two key locations and it explores the uh not only the extreme actions uh but it's it questions the use of terrorism and it brings up uh what it means morally to uh use these tools at your disposal when fighting the climate crisis and you know, it makes you question the use of property damage and sabotage as 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 proper tactics as well. So, 
I thought this was great. This is a thriller in many ways. Uh, You're following lots of different storylines. You're seeing the characters coming in at different points. Uh, You're following what is going to happen with their plan. I had no idea how this was going to end. And it it was great. Uh, this is, you know, like an hour and 44 minutes. So, and you know, take out the credits, like just under an hour 40. It's great. Moves along at a rapid pace. Uh, I watched this online and was so glad that uh, I finally got to watch it. And, you know, uh, it, it does leave you thinking about the... Uh, political helplessness that we often feel when it comes to big issues in the world, whether it's a climate crisis, which has been going on for a long time now, the fatigue that people seem to feel about the atrocities being committed in the Ukraine, the Middle East erupting again. It's It questions all of that. It brings up all of those feelings and it uh, makes you wonder, uh, you know, what, what are you doing yourself? How are you engaging with the world? How do you feel about some of the things that uh, these characters are doing? It's a, it's a really small budgeted film and it, it was filmed in a pretty short time frame as well. And I, and I think you can feel the energy in it. So uh, I thought this was great and uh, really worthwhile checking out. I could imagine some people uh, finding it confronting or not agreeing with some of the methods that the uh, characters use, but I think that's also part of the power of it. You don't really know exactly how you feel about certain things and uh, certain actions, and I think that's important in in the current climate. So, uh, how to blow up a pipeline? As I said, saw it online. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Thought it was great. Wish I'd seen it at the cinema when it came out, but I... uh, Give that uh, a hearty recommendation. After that, I saw one of my favourite films of the year. Uh, this is a film called Past Lives. It's, uh, God, how would you describe it? It's a, a, a romantic uh, drama, I guess. Um, it's 
incredibly beautiful. It's directed by Celine Song, written by Celine Song. Uh, it stars Greta Lee, uh, Tiao Yu, and uh, John Magaro, and it is just stunning. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film. It follows the relationship between two childhood friends who, uh, over the course of 24 years, uh, they contemplate their relationship when they grow apart and have these uh, different lives. And it's uh, the plot is semi-autobiographical and inspired by real events from Celine Song's life, which is also quite interesting. Uh, so you start off in Seoul, uh, in South Korea, where Na Young and Hei Sung are 12-year-old classmates who develop an attraction for one another and, and go on a date set up by their parents. But shortly after this date... Na Young's family emigrates to Toronto, where she changes her name to Nora Moon. And like all young love, uh, the two lose contact. And then 12 years later, uh, Sung has finished his military service. Uh, Nora has moved down to New York City. And one day, Nora discovers on Facebook that Sung has commented on a post that he was looking for Na Young, unaware of her name change. And it's just beautiful. It is just a beautiful, beautiful film. It doesn't really go in the directions that you expect. Greta Lee is stunning as Nora. Tiyu uh, as Heisung is just as beautiful. It's, um, you know, short. It's 106 minutes. I'm going to keep coming back to it. Look, who gives a shit about time-wise? But I know a lot of people are busy. Uh, this moves along at such a beautiful pace and... It honestly doesn't go in places that you expect. Uh, it's 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 very uh, loving to its two main characters. Uh, in in a lesser film, things would have happened that ratchet up the the drama, and this film ignores all of that. And it's I, ju- I just adored it, and it will be one of those films that I will eventually, uh, at some point, buy and uh, you know put it alongside After Sun. And uh, when I feel like I need to feel all the emotions, watch them back to back. So I just thought this was a stunner. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets nominated for some awards uh, next year. I think it would be up for next year. Uh, yeah, just a just a beautiful, beautiful film. If you haven't seen it and you and you feel like just experiencing some emotions in a in a safe place, which is sitting on your lounge, you know, watching a movie, uh, I just I just love this. As I said, uh, that and After Sun are two of my favourites this year. So um, yeah, please check that out. All right. Let's have a chat about Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese movie written uh, by Eric Roth and Scorsese, uh, based on the book The Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. Uh, obviously, you are across it, it's starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone. Uh, this is a big film, like, this is a really long film. Uh, I'm just going to give you a a caveat before I talk about this film. Um, The night that I saw this film, about two hours before I had, uh, I was about to meet up with uh, Mark Humphreys and Richard Feidler and my mate Mulk, 
um, I had been given a phone call from Cal Wilson's husband saying that uh, the cancer that she had, so there'd been like a few weeks of uh, wondering if uh, things were going to be okay. And uh, I had her husband ring me to tell me that it wasn't going to be okay and that on that Tuesday, um, uh, that was the day that I would uh, go to the hospital and I would spend time with Cal and say goodbye to her. So that was all kind of running through my head before I saw this film. And I decided after I made a couple of quick phone calls that, well, there's nothing I can do. So I'm just going to catch up with my friends. It was kind of perfect in a way. I, I had company. I didn't have to talk about anything. It wasn't my place to talk about anything. And then I could just sit in the dark and watch a movie and, you know, just have a moment of respite before the following day. And... um I really loved it. <laughs> so uh, it's set in the 1920s in Oklahoma and it focuses on a series of murders of the Assage members and the relationships to the Assage nation, uh, which is uh, all becomes incredibly dangerous because oil was discovered on their tribal land and the tribal members had retained their rights on their reservation and then, of course, you know, there's opportunists who come down and seek to uh, get in on the action and get a part of the wealth. And I I thought this was pretty powerful. Uh, I thought it moved along at quite a pace. The reason I give you the caveat of where my head was at, I was extremely focused on this film. So I'm sure other people may have seen this movie and thought it could have lost some time or maybe it was a bit too long, but I was locked in. Uh, I think it's uh, one of my favourite DiCaprio performances. I think it's one of my favourite De Niro performances. And Lily Gladstone, who I knew more from Reservation Dogs, uh, she is stunning in this film. Like, she is out of control, powerful. And uh, anytime she's on the screen, I, I couldn't take my eyes off her. And she did it with a calmness and uh, a softness. Like it's not uh, histrionics of her performing. It's it's her being quite contained. Um, I think it's interesting reading some of the uh, criticisms of the film, especially from the Assage, who say it's their story. Why are we looking at this story through the eyes of DiCaprio's character and through De Niro's character? Uh, I don't want to give too much away, and I don't think they are incorrect criticisms by any means. Uh, I think from my perspective to get these kinds of stories out, uh, I, I I think Scorsese has done an excellent job in getting a story like this, a big story, it gets a lot of uh, press, doesn't it? And I, I think he has handled it with care. Uh, I kind of understand why he's come at it from the angle that he has, not because, and this is only my interpretation, uh, not because I think he's being uh, dismissive of the Assage, but... I think where the movie ends, and it ends like on a pretty big swing, like the last 
10 to 15 minutes of the film, it feels like it's making a statement about the current world that we live in as well. I think it's making a statement on the people, or not the people, but the, a society that really gets off on true crime podcasts and and the way we view the world and, and sometimes terrible things happening can be viewed as entertainment. And I think he's potentially uh, challenging that assumption with his own work, maybe even agreeing to a certain extent. And, you know, once you have that responsibility, how do you make that still work with a, a level of grace and being intellectually and emotionally balanced in the telling of your story? So I, I think if... Uh, members of the Assage community wanted to make uh, a, a version of this story through their own eyes. I think that would be incredibly valid. And I think, you know, one of the great things about uh, like specifically a TV series like Reservation Dogs, you saw all this beautiful talent that's coming through and getting an opportunity to make stuff. So while I completely understand the criticisms, uh, I think Scorsese has done it in a way that is completely empathetic and probably correct in the way he's come through in telling this story does that make sense like it's like it is tricky you know it it isn't anyone else's story to tell but theirs but also if Scorsese can get this story made and he makes it with um with affection and uh and, and and empathy, then isn't that inherently a good thing moving forward as long as we kind of build on it and then give uh, people of the Asajj uh, Nation an opportunity to tell their own stories as well. Like it feels like a, an important stepping stone. Look, I, I thought it was great. It looks beautiful. Uh, Jesse Plemons turns up in it and everything's better with Jesse Plemons. John Lithgow's great. Uh Brendan Fraser, he comes in hot. He comes in hot. But, uh, you know, maybe that was the the character in the end. Um, so I, I don't think this uh, shows uh, any of the Caucasian people in uh, a particularly positive light. Um, I think there's a subtlety to it that sometimes has been missed in the criticisms. Uh, I think DiCaprio. Uh, I think DiCaprio kind of uh, right towards the end in his final scene with uh, Gladstone. Uh, I think there is a um, an exchange that is telling, and I think if you're paying attention to that to that exchange, I think that really damns his character. But anyway, look, uh, I thought it was great. Um, you know, it is it is a long film. I saw it at a pretty stressful moment in my life and it gave me something to focus on. Uh, so, you know, maybe you should take that into account when giving this a go. But it'll be on Apple TV soon. So maybe um, if you're weak of bladder, maybe that is the place to see it. <laughs> uh, all right. 
two more films to discuss with you. Uh, this film is from 2018, and it was on, uh, I think it's still there, on the SBS app, if this uh, appeals to you. This is a film called Long Day's Journey Into Night. Uh, and this was just a fascinating film, uh, uh, directed and written by Bai Gan, and it stars Tang Wei and Huang Zhu, and um, it, it it opens with uh, the character that Hong Zhu plays, uh, Luo, who uh, talks about. Uh, being haunted by the memory of a woman who disappeared, and the story of his invo- involvement with that woman is then told in a kind of non-linear, out-of-order series of scenes, and it is really tricky to describe this film. Like it's really tricky. It 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 feels um, in in some ways uh, quite. Um, quite dreamy uh and it's um you know it's it's essentially about a man who who goes back to the 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 city that he was in and recalls the summer he spent with this uh woman that he found uh the, the the tracks of her life uh 20 years before and it's um it's it's got this really interesting aspect to it where the the first half of it is essentially uh, all these different scenes. Uh, you know, Luo is connected to an organised crime as a casino manager. Uh, he's, um, you know, looking for one who had been a cat burglar. That's uh, Tang Wai's character and had broken into a home with another woman. Uh, but they were distracted by a book with a poetry spell that could make the entire house itself spin. <laughs> you know, it's 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 quite surreal in many ways, and um, uh, anyway, it's 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 got this interconnected storyline that is told in this haphazard kind of way, and then the last hour of the film, um, and you know, I couldn't do this because uh, it wasn't set up like this on my TV or. But uh, if you saw it in the cinema, you'd put on your 3D glasses and uh, the characters in the movie put on 3D glasses and then that's a signal for you to put on yours. And then the, the, the final scene is like a, a, a continuous hour uh, of uh, the main character finding himself on a railway track and, uh, you know, being taken up to a small office where he asks a boy for some help and he has to play ping pong against this young boy to get the opportunity to get this help that he needs. And anyway, it's I don't know if it's a dream. I don't know if it was reality. I I wonder if, um, you know, this is a story about memory. This is kind of my interpretation of it. It's a story about memory and how memories don't really align and they don't really come together to tell a coherent storyline, but there's a vibe to it and there's a feeling to it. And then this film definitely has a feeling all the way through that makes you feel um, complicit in in the action that's taking place on the screen. I found it absolutely uh, fascinating. And uh, I, I think it's a... Um, 
I think it's a challenging film, you know, like I, I honestly, I honestly cannot um, say you should definitely watch this. I think if you want something that is, uh, is challenging, something that is dreamlike, something that is more like a, I don't know, more like a, a Chinese David Lynch film uh, and you're up for getting to the end and having an initial reaction of, what? <laughs> I think this is a really good film to check out. But uh, if if you don't have any of that in you at the moment, if you don't have any of that desire to engage with a film that asks so much of you, then maybe you should... Um, <laughs> maybe you should give this one a miss but i thought it was quite stunning and i can't wait to rewatch it knowing that i've i've seen it once now and i have a feel for it and uh seeing what secrets it uh, tells me the the next time i check it out but anyway that is long day's journey in tonight i don't know if i've really helped you stand one way or another on this film but Once again, it's stunning and uh, I reckon it's worthwhile rolling the dice. Uh, The last main film I want to talk to you about is The Killer by David Fincher, screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker, who, of course, wrote Seven. Uh, Stars Michael Fassbender, Arliss Howard, uh, Charles Parnell and has a crazy good... uh, sequence with Tilda Swinton. Now, this is a movie about an unnamed assassin. He's he's only credited as the killer and he's staking out a Parisian hotel room and uh, this is all from his perspective. So you're inside his head, you're hearing his mantra, you're hearing his inner monologue and at some point, you know what, if you haven't seen it, I don't even really want to give away the first twist. Hang on, let me have a drink of water and have a think. Nah, I don't want to say it. <laughs> I really don't want to say it. Um, so I'm going to speak very broadly about this film. This is a movie about someone who lives a life to a set of rules and expresses themselves in a certain way and has a mantra that they never contradict but all the actions contradict it and even the mantras after a while seem to be a little bit basic and you start to wonder if this person who's been set up to be very good at their job like maybe they're not (laughs) and maybe they don't realize it maybe they're pretty good but maybe they're not infallible like they believe that they are now the very interesting thing about this film, oh, by the way, it also has a stunning score by, of course, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Uh, so I read a lot of reviews of this film, like a lot. And I read good ones and bad ones because I was sitting in the cinema watching this with my mate and 30 minutes in, I kind of turned around to her and said, Am I the only one laughing in the cinema? She said, no, no, it's all right. Everyone's laughing. I said, oh, good. Because I found it really funny. And all the reviews I've read, good and bad, the one thing that they have in common, if they, if you put good and bad reviews alongside each other, the Venn diagram would be right in the middle. 
if you found the movie funny, you loved it. And if you didn't find the movie funny, you thought it was bullshit. And that seems to be... Like, I'm not saying it's definitively like that for everyone, but every review I read, um, that's kind of the take on it. I think it's really funny. I think it's not funny as in uh, jokes. It's funny like the Sofia Coppola film Somewhere. You know, in that film, there were just long scenes and then suddenly something would happen and you'd realise, oh, everything you thought about that character was suddenly contradicted by their actions. And this is the same thing. He's He's got this this inner monologue that tells you exactly who he is, but everything he does doesn't quite seem to add up. And over the course of the film, you do wonder, is is he growing as a person? Is he is he learning anything? Is he potentially just not very good at his job, but good enough to get other things done? Like, I just thought it was great. And we all know that David Fincher is a perfectionist. You know, there's all those stories about him doing, you know, hundreds of takes of of scenes to get it just right. I kind of wonder if he's kind of making fun of himself as well. Uh, This person who's very definitive in his actions and the way that he carries himself and, you know, chaos still ensures around him. All the the actors in it, uh, when they appear, are great. Tilda Swinton, knocking it out of the park. The movie set into six chapters and I thought it moved along uh, at an incredible rate. I think it looks stunning and uh, I've, I've watched it twice now. I saw it at the cinema and I've watched it on Netflix and both times I've walked away from it having a pretty good time and I felt like I got more out of it, more so the second time. First time I was too busy panicking that I was laughing in a film like, you know... <laughs> What's the what's the film in the Naked Gun that uh, Leslie Nielsen and Priscilla Presley are laughing at? Like Platoon. When they come out of the cinema, they've been laughing in Platoon. Um, you know, uh, there was a part of me that was like, oh my God, am I having my Naked Gun moment? But look, if if you watch it and you don't find it funny, that's completely fine. I think it's I think the humour is black. I think it's uh, very specific. And if you don't find it funny and you don't get into it, that is 100% fine. But if you do find it funny, I think you'll have a really good time with it. And that's, that's, like Even now, I'm thinking of specific scenes of him talking to himself about, you know, hey, I'm going to do this and this this way and this is how things work. And then, oh, hang on, it didn't play out like that at all. Like When I've seen criticisms of the inner monologue as being, you know, lacking something, I feel like saying to them, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a reason for that. But if you don't if you don't find that funny, then, you know, that's 100% fine, right? It's just not your sense of humour. I found it funny. I thought it was great. I had a really good time with it. So, you know, roll the dice, I reckon, and uh, let me know how you feel about that. Uh, finally, uh, I had the the pleasure of finally getting to uh, the IMAX centre that has reopened up here in Sydney. I think it's the best IMAX screen I have seen. 
and uh, I, I, I turned on the Melbourne one. The last three times I went to the Melbourne IMAX, uh, twice the movie broke down. Once it broke down, the second time the sound just disappeared and the third time they started playing the trailer to the film uh, while the film was playing. So you had uh, image over image and they are expensive tickets and I do not mind paying money for an experience, but you need to be better. So I went to the Sydney IMAX, I went and saw Oppenheimer and Interstellar and Dunkirk and I felt like I had... um, you know, some brand new experiences with Oppenheimer, actually. It was great seeing it on such a big screen and, you know, the 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 scenes that are confronting are like they're, they're almost harder to comprehend on, on a screen that are so big. Uh, once again, I still think the movie moves at a rapid pace and, uh, you know, I've seen the film a few times now and uh, I think the IMAX experience was possibly... My favourite. Uh, seeing Dunkirk on that big screen as well. I've seen Interstellar heaps. Yeah, I think you know in the past that I've said that Interstellar is my favourite Nolan film. And uh, I think Dunkirk is his best. Um, but we're going to do a podcast soon. Uh, I, when Oppenheimer and Barbie and all of those movies came out, I realised that I just did not want to be a part of the noisy discourse online giving my opinions about those films i just wanted to go and enjoy them and so it probably seems counterintuitive that i wasn't doing podcasts talking about these films immediately i think i've walked out of films and given them better reviews because i was full of the adrenaline and i've given some movies worse reviews because of i haven't given them time to sit so i was looking forward to oppenheimer and i just wanted to make sure that I gave it the correct amount of time to sit in my head. I'm not interested in hot takes. Not in this way. Not in, not in stuff that I'm looking forward to seeing. So the movie is released on Blu-ray pretty soon. Uh, it's sometime next week. And uh, I'm going to have a guest on. We're going to break down the film and then do our latest um, Christopher Nolan power rankings. There'll be some changes on my behalf. There's going to be some changes. Let me tell you that. But uh, if you live in Sydney and you see that uh, Oppenheimer is at IMAX, even if you have seen it elsewhere, I would uh, recommend going and checking that out. And Dunkirk, by the way. Like, Interstellar goes without saying, but far out. I felt like Dunkirk was uh, a whole new experience as well. Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm waiting for them to put Tenet up. Um, I love Tenet. I think Tenet's great. I think, I think Tenet is a spy movie that you dreamed about seeing once. And uh, the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. Uh, maybe we could have the protagonist and the killer uh, meet up in um, <laughs> a movie where nobody gets a proper name as a credit. Um, but anyway. They're the movies that I've seen uh, in the last month. It's been a stressful month for a number of reasons, uh, mainly everything that was happening with dear, dear Cal Wilson. Um, 
But uh, of the films, The Creator, The Exorcist Believer, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Past Lives, Killers of the Flower Moon, Long Day's Journey in Tonight, The Killer and Oppenheimer, you know, I would 100% suggest Oppenheimer, The Killer and Past Lives are three films that you should definitely see. The Killer, you know, once again, it's a roll of the dice on your on um, how you feel sense of humor-wise. You know what? Let's throw in How to Blow Up a Pipeline there as well. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I loved it, but it is a long film. And uh, I think you really... I need to watch that one again uh, because uh, I watched it under extreme circumstances and uh, I need to uh, work out if... Maybe I was just super focused because of everything that was going on. And maybe if I rewatch it, I, I find that it lags somewhere. But uh, if you get to see it at the cinema, it's so beautiful. It's a really beautiful film uh, to look at. And so I would recommend that. And uh, The Creator, I'd check it out online. And The Exorcist, believe it. I reckon you're fine. I just re- reckon you don't need to see that. I would, I would suggest Long Day's Journey in Tonight, which is challenging and might leave you scratching your head, is a worthy challenge. And uh, The Exorcist Believer is just, I don't know, a bit of a bummer. There you go. Harsh criticism from Hamo. A bit of a bummer. All right. Thank you to me for recording that earlier. Uh, <laughs> I hope you got a lot out of that. Uh, a lot of TV, a lot of movies recently. Uh, last night, I just actually, you know, because I've been enjoying Fargo, I rewatched uh, Barton Fink. Whew, Barton Fink really holds up as well. It's uh, what a what a grimy, grotty film. Uh, so uh, there'll be more to talk about soon. Uh, I'm going to do a proper breakdown uh on Oppenheimer and I, like I want to do it r- like properly uh so uh, I'm hoping to get it done before the end of the year if not that'll come in January I deliberately avoided it in uh when it first came out because I just everyone's so keen to have their thoughts and share them and I was looking forward to that film and I was looking forward to Barbie as well and I just had no interest in being part of the discourse just none whatsoever. Like, who gives a shit? Uh, I wanted to sit with it. I wanted to enjoy it. I didn't listen to anything anyone had to say about these films. And, uh, you know, I, I genuinely believe that um, Oppenheimer is Nolan's masterpiece. I think it's fantastic. And it's a hard film to get your head around because it's um, it's bombastic. It's not a biopic. It's a... It's a thriller, uh, but it's telling a real story. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this movie, and uh, I wanted to sit with it properly. I just wanted to enjoy it to begin with, and then I'm going to break it down for you uh, and draw parallels, uh, not only within the story, but to Nolan's oeuvre as well. So I'm looking forward to getting an opportunity to do that. I will hopefully get that done uh, before I go on a brief sojourn back to Adelaide. Uh, actually, for anyone in Adelaide, I will be making an appearance at the final Rhino Room show on the 15th of December. So if you're about, please come along and say hello afterwards and uh, let me know what you've enjoyed 
this year. Uh, the Ultimate will be continuing. We're up at the last run of chapters. Uh, I had so much great feedback on this and I have really appreciated it. Uh, this last run, uh, I'm going to do at a chapter at a time. So, you know, I'm really, you know, in those first two thirds building it up. And now that it's got this end momentum, I want to kind of bang them out week to week. And, you know, hopefully you enjoy it the same way that uh, you enjoy watching a TV series or whatever. Um, so thank you for all the emails about it. And I'm enjoying the theories. The theories in particular are great. And, uh you know, some of you are close, some of you are not. Some of you have said things that I've thought, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that was in there. So it's like I'm learning as well. So thank you for everyone who's written to me about it. If you haven't started it, uh, you know, it, it's there for you whenever you want. And it's uh, essentially uh, a love letter to Melbourne. It's uh, about a, a rock and roller called Robert who was in a band called Dead Fingers Tapping in the 90s. The band broke up. He's been pretty depressed about something for quite a while and he has retreated by uh, hiding in his house with his cat, Alfred, and also he has been uh, a part investor uh, in his high school friend's comic book shop. And so he kind of goes and hangs out there, but he's, he's a bit of a mess and he keeps having these dreams, these apocalyptic superhero dreams, and suddenly... Um, he comes face to face with uh, someone who claims that uh, they're from another universe. Anyway, it's fun. It's, uh, as I said, it's a love letter to Melbourne. It's got heaps of jokes. Uh, Robert's hopefully uh, a delightful mess and uh, has a fun set of uh, supporting characters and... You know, it's a it's a story about identity, essentially, and the and the stories that we tell ourselves. So, uh, if you feel like giving it a go, if you've been a bit uncertain as to what it was, uh, but now you think, oh yeah, maybe I'd like to give that a shot. Uh, it's it's there. It's going to be about thirty two chapters all up, and you can read up until about chapter twenty four. It's three chapters at a time, so you can just kind of listen to it at your own pace. So uh, if you haven't checked it out, I hope you enjoy it. And for those of you who have been listening all the way through, uh, I hope you enjoy the finale that will be coming your way in the next few weeks. All right. I'll let you go now. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed these uh, recommendations and uh, not not too much negativity in there. Uh, for the most part, that's a lot of stuff that I've loved. So if you've seen the, that stuff, let me know via Facebook or you can uh, uh, contact me via Instagram, you know, all, all the usual places and uh, let me know if you enjoyed those things as well. All right. Take care of yourself. I hope you're doing okay. We're right at the end of the year. It's been a big year, hasn't it? Been a lot going on. I'm ready to check out for a little while. And I uh, hope you're good. And I hope you've got some uh, relaxing time up ahead. Until then. <laughs>